Good morning, brothers, sisters, friends. Welcome to the Great Commission Ministries sermon broadcast. This week's sermon is entitled, God of Love, God of Grace, God of Judgment. Our sermon text for this week comes to us from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Good morning. So I made a misstatement last week. I stated that we had two weeks left in this series and we only had one because this is actually the last sermon in this series that we have been going over for the last 10 weeks, which is these 10 uncomfortable truths. And we're going to end this series with a very uncomfortable truth. But let's talk first about the fact that we have been building this Christian worldview over the past 10 weeks, and we're going to complete the building today. We're going to put the roof on it. And we we started with understanding that in order to build anything, you have to have a strong foundation. And the foundation of a Christian worldview is truth. We have to understand that there is a such thing as truth, and then everything else is opinion. And so when we focus on the fact that there is truth, the truth for us is that God is. God is. God exists. God is our creator. And in understanding that God exists and he is our creator, we understand that God is three in one. We have God Father, God Son, God Holy Spirit. The Son came, the Son died. For our sins, he rose again, and then he returned to the Father. And so everything is built on that foundation. If we don't have the foundation of truth, then everything else that we build up on this Christian worldview will crumble because it's not built on a strong foundation. And that's why it's so important to understand that there is truth and that God is. And then we moved on, we, we, placed on, we started placing on some bricks on this, on this Christian worldview. We, we placed on a brick that says that you have to follow God. We don't follow our heart because sometimes what the heart says and what God says are in conflict with each other. And if they are in conflict with each other, then we have to follow what God says. We strive, we strive to show true love. As God has showed us, God showed us true love and we, uh, we defined love and we're going to go even further in defining love today. But we defined love as love is not just an emotion. It's not, it's not just how I feel, it's action. I, I can tell you, all of us who are married, all of us who have children, we have close family members, we know that times come when we don't like them very much. But we always are called to love them. And so love is an action. And I I know for a fact that uh, knowing my family and, and knowing my late wife and knowing my children, there are times when they don't like me very much. But they still love me. And I and 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 you know, the more and more I think about that, I just wonder, why not like me? I'm just a lovable little teddy bear. Yes, she would. 
But notice my, my children are saying nothing. <laughs> and so we, we, we add an, so we add that brick of showing true love, and then we add another brick, and that brick is the brick of knowledge and understanding that we don't just have blind faith. We don't just believe God. God says, hey, hey, just believe me, because, just believe. No, we believe because we know what we believe. It's a, we need to study. We need to understand. We need to know what we believe, and we need to know why we believe it. We have this foundation of truth that we're talking about. Why do we believe that? It's not just blind faith. It's a faith based on knowledge. And then we go from there, and we go into who we are in God's presence, that we should always go to God. We should go to God in prayer, but there's a way for us to do it. We don't do it proud and boastful as if we're doing God a favor by coming to him. We come to him with humility and with a mind that is open to the possibility that we may need to change. Because, why? Because we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. And then we talk about where we find our strength. That's the next brick we added to our, as we're building this Christian foundation. Where's our strength? Do we find our strength in ourselves? Do we find our strength in other people? Do we find our strength in what we do? No, we find our strength in God because there will be. And notice what I'm saying. I didn't say might be. I didn't say it could possibly be. There will be times in your life when life is more than you can handle. And you have to know where your strength is ultimately going to come from. It is not from you. We find our strength in our creator, in God. So we added that brick to it. And then we moved on and we talked about gifts. And we added that brick that says we're different. All of us are different. We have different gifts. Gifts of teaching, gifts of preaching, gifts of organization, but we also all think differently. And it's important for us to understand that God made us that way as well. As long as we are focusing on truth, there may be some things that we disagree on. We look at the Bible. There are certain things that are black and white. God said this. God said, we read Leviticus today. God said, hey, don't do this. Do this. That's black and white. There are some other things that are left open to interpretation. We're going to take communion today. In our faith, we take communion on the first Sunday of every month. Some faiths take it quarterly. Some faiths only do it once a year. Some faiths don't do it at all. We can disagree agree on those things. We can have different thoughts on those, but those different thoughts serve to enrich the body as long as we accept the fact that we can think differently. So we had that brick. And then we added the brick about who we are and seeing, seeing ourselves and others as God sees us. You are a wonderful creation. You are wonderfully made in the image of God. That person next to you is also a wonderful creation made in the image of God. That person that you may not necessarily like being in the presence of is also a creation wonderfully made in the image of God. And so we added that 
brick. And then last week we added the final brick because we're going to put the roof on today. And last week we understood that all of us, not just some of us, but all of us are broken vessels. All of us are broken. But we're made perfect by God. That which humanity cannot fix, God has no problem fixing. Amen? And so today, we're going to realize that we are all guilty of sin. We are all deserving of judgment. But we are all made clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. So what is the uncomfortable truth that we must address today? And the uncomfortable truth is that we talk about God. God is a God of love. We know that. God is a God of grace. We know that. God is a God of mercy. We know that. God is also a God of judgment. And sometimes we don't like to talk about that, but we wouldn't need the mercy and we wouldn't need the grace were it not for the judgment. Amen? And so we have to remember that God is a God of judgment and that that judgment will come. We are in a time of grace right now, but that judgment will come. And so because we don't like to talk about judgment, just like we don't like to talk about sin, that little word, how, how we can be people of faith and not address sin, I don't know. But we don't like to talk about those things. They're uncomfortable. And because they're uncomfortable, they have caused us to start to believe the big lie that is connected to this uncomfortable truth about judgment. And that is, first of all, that a God of love would not let there be so much suffering. A God of love, if, we, if God was really a God of love, then he would not allow for there to be so much suffering in the world today. That's a big lie that we are trying, that, that, the culture is trying to make us believe. And the second part of that is that a God of love would not condemn anyone to hell. So we have really two big lies. A God of love would not allow suffering, and a God of love would never condemn anyone to hell. So the first thing that we want to do today is let's address both of these big lies. Let's go to the first one. A God of love would not allow so much suffering in the world. Well, first of all, the thing that we have to understand is the one thing that God wants from us is our love. He wants our true love. He wants our unconditional love. Now, understand that God is the creator of the universe. He could have very easily created humanity in a way in which we do not have a choice but to love him and do what he says. He could, he's God. He could have very easily have created us that way. But here's the paradox. If God creates us that way so that we do not have a choice but to love him and we can only do what he tells us to do, it's not really love. See, that's the problem. Because we don't, in order to truly love God, we have to have a choice to not love God. That means we have to have free will. That means we have to have the ability to make decisions on our own, and we make the decision, the choice to love God, then that is really love. 
That's what God desires from us. But because he has to give us free will, that means we can make the choice to love him or not to love him. We can make the choice to do what is right and what is not right. And of course, the the original choice that was made was to do what was not right. Sin came into the world, and thus with sin came suffering. God does not just allow, and God did not bring suffering into the world, and he just does not allow it blindly The suffering that happens, happens not because of God, but because of us. The suffering that happens in the world is not suffering that God brings into the world. It is suffering that comes into the world because of human beings' bad decisions. Because we have free will. So that's how we answer that first lie. God Yes, God does allow suffering. He does not cause it. He allows it. And sometimes he can use it for our benefit. But it is not God that is causing the suffering. It is the choices of human beings that cause the suffering. But then there's that second lie. And, and this, is, this is one that, that we... That especially non-believers and, and some more progressive Christians, they say, well, no... A non-believer says, well, you can't, there can't be a God because no God would allow or send someone or condemn someone to hell. And then more progressive Christians say, well, there can't be a hell, even though it's right there in the Bible, but there can't be a hell because God wouldn't do that. He wouldn't condemn people to hell. Well, the answer to that is right there in the Bible. It's in John 3.16. Let's, let's, let's look at it. We, we know That particular verse of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So we've got a promise there. We've got a promise. But the the thing that we need not do is stop there. Let's not stop there. Let's let's move on. So you had John 3.16. Let's go on and see what he had to say in verse 17. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So right now we've got a problem because the big lie is saying that, well, you hold on, you have this God that is condemning people to hell, but yet in the word it's saying that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. But you still have this problem because there is hell. Jesus, one of the things people don't realize about Jesus is no one in the Bible talked about hell more than Jesus did. So we know it's there. But how do we balance it out? Because we know God's not a liar. He says he didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So how do we, what, what do we do with this? Well, we go to the next verse. That's why we don't just stop. We go to the very next verse, verse 19, and it says, and this is the judgment. This is the judgment. Actually, no, that's the wrong one. I'm going to go back one. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. So if you believe in him, this is verse 18, you are not condemned. And whoever does not believe is condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Whoever believes is not condemned. Who does not believe is condemned. So who is condemning? 
the person who makes the choice. It is not God that is condemning. You are being condemned by the choice that you made. Let's use a real world example. If I decided to jump in my car after church today and just run people over just for the heck of it, and I go to trial and I'm found guilty and the judge sentences me to life in prison. Did the judge condemn me to life in prison? Because God is the judge. Did the judge condemn me to life in prison or did my actions condemn me to life in prison? My actions. So God is not condemning. So you're right. So next time someone comes to you and they says, you believe in this God, but, and you say he's a good God, a good God would never condemn anyone to hell. You say, ah, you are absolutely right. And my God doesn't condemn anyone. You are condemned by your own actions. And the people of God said, Amen. So that's our answers to the big lie. Now let's go a little bit deeper into defining love. Now we're not going to spend too much time on this because I have done many a sermon on defining love. We know that love is action. It's not a feeling. Love is something that we do, not just something we feel. But beyond that, where, we get, where people get stuck is on this whole issue of discipline and punishment. And they feel like, well, you know, if, if God would truly loved us, then would he really discipline us? Would he really punish us? Well, first of all, love is not the absence of discipline. I would argue, for those of us who are parents, if you are not willing to discipline your child, do you really love them? Because you can do it or the world can do it, but it's going to happen. I would much rather teach my children through discipline how to behave in the world than have the system teach them. Because the system is going to be much more harsh than I'm going to be. It's the same with God. God desires for us to be in his presence. And so, yes, there are these things that happen. There are these consequences. There is this difficulty when we make the wrong decision, when we go in the wrong direction. But that is not because God doesn't love us. It's specifically because he does. Love is not the absence of discipline. And I think sometimes... We think that anything that ends up having a bad initial result is bad. Well, I can tell you when my boys lose their PlayStation because of something that they did, that's a bad result for them. But it was something that needed to happen. And so we need to remember love is not the absence of discipline. Now let's focus on something that we miss a lot. And one thing about being a human being and even being a pastor is that sometimes you, you learn things. And Pastor Jessica and I were having a conversation last week and, and she made me think about something. For, for years, I have been making the statement that, that God cannot be in the presence of sin. And on, it, on the face, on its surface, that statement is true, but it would be more true, and, and this, is, this is what I learned from her, uh, it's more true to say 
that sin is repelled by the presence of God. So it's not God that can't be somewhere. God can be wherever he wants, but wherever God is, sin cannot be present. Why is that? Because of the one thing about God, we talk about God being love. We talk about, the text even says, God is love. We talk about God being love. We talk about him having mercy and grace. What we often don't talk about the fact is that God is holy. God is holy. And because God is holy, sin cannot be in the presence of God. And because we have been tainted by sin, the only way for us to be in the presence of God is for that taint of sin to be removed from us. We couldn't do that on our own. That's one of the reasons why Christianity is the only faith that does not focus on your works and what you do because it does not matter how hard you work in this human life You cannot cleanse yourself of that taint. You could only be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is that which allows for us, cleansed, to come into the presence of a holy God. In Leviticus, he asked the people, he said, be holy for I am holy. And that is what we need to remember about God. Yes, he is love. But he is also holy, and the taint of sin cannot be in his presence. And I don't know about you, but when this is all over, I want to be in the presence of God. Our holy God, however, our holy God loves us so much. How much does he love us? Well, let's go back to our text. Let's look at verses 7 through 9 of our text. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So, God loves us, and if we're going to know God, if we're going to truly be in the presence of God, then we have to love. Anyone Who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. And what what, what that's stating is that it is impossible for someone who does not love to know God. Because in order to know God, you have to know love because God is love. But then then it gets into how much he loved us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the probation for our sins. In other words, this holy God, this holy God, who cannot be in the presence of sin, who sin is repelled by, loved us so much that he gave us the fix. Because we couldn't fix it ourselves, he gave us the fix in Jesus Christ. 
And all that we have to do, because another thing that you'll hear a lot is, well, as Christians, there's nothing that you have to do in order to get into heaven. That's not true. There's one thing you have to do. One thing. And that's accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have to be willing to say and accept the fact that you could not save yourself. You have to be willing to accept that you are tainted by sin. You have to be willing to accept the fact that God is a God of judgment, and whatever judgment he was to give to us would have been a just judgment. You have to be willing to accept that and then realize that he loved you so much that he gave his son so that you might be in his presence, so that you might live. Praise God for that. So what next? What is it that we need to remember? And the big thing to remember is that God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. But God is also a God of judgment. And there's going to be a time that is going to come. I don't know when it is, and I don't waste a whole lot of time trying to figure it out. All I know is that God said, Jesus is returning And when he returns, all those chances are over. I don't know whether Jesus is coming back today, tomorrow, or a thousand years from now. It doesn't matter. I know he's coming back. Amen. That's all I... See, see, there there are scholars out there that spend a whole lot of time with eschatology and end times. All I know is that God has never broken a promise. He said, I'm coming back, and that you need to be ready when I get here. And so my focus is on trying to make sure as many people are as ready as can be, whether he comes back today, tomorrow, 50 years from now, a thousand years from now, that people were ready when he comes back. Because the judgment will happen. He's going to line us up. He's going to separate the sheep from the goat. He's going to say to some, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in to to heaven. And he's going to say to others, depart from me, I do not know you. I want to hear, and I want all of you to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That is my focus. So just remember, God is holy. And a holy God repels sin. But you need not be one of those who is repelled simply by accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you do that, the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen. 